it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, every single sentient being listening. This is your Woke Bros of the Week on the Bomb Feed. Black Opinions Matter on the Count the Dings Network. Click subscribe, leave us a review, get both great shows each and every week. I am, of course, your illustrious co-host, Michael Jamal Shabazz Aziz Abdul-Jabbar Brooks. (laughs) <laughs> and my good friends and compadre, Big Waz, Wazni Lambre, my usual co-pilot on this, is actually out this week traveling out and about. So I was able, luckily enough, along with the mega producer, Rob Lopez, to snag an incredible fill-in woke bro, my very good friend, regular contributor to TMBS, writer for The Athletic, TV host. Contributor at the Young Turks, so many places you've seen this man talk about soccer, politics, culture. Nando Vila, Nando, thanks for being here. Thanks for co-piloting this with me, man. Thanks for having me. This is big shoes to fill. Waz, I mean, we did the live show in L.A., and I feel like Waz was the big star of that show. <laughs> Waz was definitely. <laughs> I mean, he, he took over. I mean, uh, yeah, got real loose. <laughs> oh yeah. We were actually talking about this. I had Waz on TMBS last night. Yeah, and we were talking about yeah, we were talking about Waz's Thanksgiving principle for TMBS live shows. So (laughs) to get drunk as fuck. You know what my my favorite interaction at the show actually was between you and and Waz because Waz immediately zeroes in on he would get with Kellyanne Kanye uh, Conway <laughs> <laughs> Kellyanne Kanye is good is a good character uh, that would be a good one <laughs> so he gets and he's just going like yeah Waz is a very deep detail about what he would do to Kellyanne Conway deep detail and Waz is mostly like you know it, 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 people they do their 
segment. Then they go backstage. Now, partially LA was weird. There wasn't really a backstage, mm. but at any rate, so there's no backstage uh, at the LA venue. So Waz sits in the front row and just heckles us. And by the time <laughs> Nando comes out, Waz is like, he has gone from, I'm enjoying myself to I'm enjoying myself in all capital. And he goes, and he's like, it's going to be Huckabee in a minute. And I, <laughs> and I remember you said, you go, oh, yeah, which one? And he's just like, it'll be both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be. I mean, if they want to make if they want to make some money, you know, the, the Huckabee, the Huckabee clan could do some, you know, get get into the pornography business. I don't know. I think that would be I think that'd be a huge hit. It's absolutely terrifying. Uh, we have a live show coming up for TMBS February seventh at the Bell House in New York City. Incredibly excited about that. Uh, we yeah. sold out Philly. It was an incredible show. Snag your tickets. Links in the description. Click subscribe. Become a subscriber to the Athletic. Support. Um, and, uh, both count the dings and the Michael Brooks show on Patreon. All right, Nando, right out of the gate, I want to talk about the Irishman, uh, which I've actually, I mean, most people seem to like it. I've seen some controversial opinions. I don't even want to, I mean, we could, whatever we can make fun of like the dumb woke shit about it later, but first I want to like take it seriously as a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, what did you think? So I saw it twice. I saw it in the theaters the night it came out in L.A. And then I saw it again on Thanksgiving night after our meal. We were all like just in a food coma watching it again. And I got to say, I mean, I loved it the first time. And the second time, I, I loved it even more. I mean, I love everything about it. Like, I, I just like let that movie wash over me. I could have done it for, you know, 10 more hours. Um uh, you know, I this this whole thing about like you know the movie was too long. It was too long because it was three and a half hours. I was like, you know, I I actually think it was too short. I would have I would have watched, you know, I would have watched that thing for like four or five more hours. I mean, I I really loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting thematically. I thought it was poignant emotionally, and um, you know all the stuff about the CGI and you know the actors are so old and all that stuff. I I. I mean, this is this does kind of sound like I'm jerry-rigging an argument to defend a movie that I like, but I, I almost thought that that was kind of part of it, you know, that that was almost intentional, that they could have maybe hired a young Robert De Niro to play, you know, like, uh, you know, like, like they did in Godfather 2 or something, but, but that, that it was intentional because it was, because it was his memories, you know, and it was, and it was the memories of an old dying man. Um, and, and that that's why when you, when you look back at your youth, you, you see your, you see yourself not as you were, but kind of as a version of the man you are today. Um, so I, yeah, I really, I really just, I absolutely loved that. I don't know. What'd you think? No, I, I mean, I, I to me, like the whole aging process thing, it, it, you know, I, this is one where I don't even think it's the benefit of the doubt. You can think whatever you think about Scorsese. I happen to like Scorsese. I'm sure there's valid criticisms, but like, I mean, the idea that somebody like Scorsese and these actors are not like schlockmeisters. Like, right. it's so obvious. Like, they clearly they wanted to do this movie. Mm-hmm. Scorsese wanted to cast these people. What's the barrier? Oh well, how do we negotiate that? 
Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll filter it. And and clearly to me, I mean, there's a lot other implied by that. That's also a director and actors who are these, you know, heroes of generations at this point yeah. who are, you know, like, you know, thank God they're still in their good health. They're still doing their thing. But, you know, like I'm I could I mean, I don't want to project, but, you know, they're I'm sure they're looking at their horizons and you feel that in the movie. And then you also, um, you know, the other the other thing is, I, I think, you know, there's some type of like kind of like closing, like you know, sort of like completing of all of this like yeah. mafia themes. And Waz pointed out that this was, you know, kind of like really focused on the sort of emptiness of it. So there's the, you know, there's still some glamour. Actually, not that much glamour. There's some comedy to it, but a lot of it is really like, yeah, they did all of this shit and then they died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I, I, think that's a, I think that's a key point that I think a lot of people may have missed. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's impossible to understand this movie without the sort of meta narrative of who these people are, of who Scorsese is and the sort of canon of mafia movies that he basically created uh, along with Francis Coppola. But you know, and and then and that and the role that these actors played in the sort of making of a almost a subgenre of cinema, which is the mob movie, and it's Pacino, De Niro, and Joe Pesci. I mean, those are the three guys that did the genre exactly. You know, so like there was never going to be any doubt that they were going to be these three guys. It doesn't matter that Al Pacino looks nothing like Al- Jimmy Hoffa and talks nothing like Jimmy Hoffa. Um, that's not the, that's not the point. It's not. It's not really a movie about Jimmy Hoffa. It's a movie about this genre of mob movies. And it's almost like the mirror image of Goodfellas in which Goodfellas, you know, when it came out was incredible because it really showed this kind of how exciting the mob lifestyle can be. I mean, that's why like, you know, like the famous scene, the one shot scene as, as they walk into the Copacabana and they, and they're, and it's just like this incredible kind of lifestyle that they're living and they're all just having a good time. And it's, and it's really fun and exciting. And this movie is the sort of complete opposite of that. Like you mentioned, like there is no, there is no fun. They don't have a single moment where they have a good time. Even the, even the scene where Robert De Niro gets that dinner thrown in his honor in which, you know, yeah, he's touched that Jimmy Hoffa is there, but like there's this underlying subplot in which that's the moment in which, you know, the Hoffa hit gets ordered basically, or gets decided. Um, and it's not like it's this this incredibly fun thing. It's they're all just there, not having a good time. They're there plotting the death of you know the the great union leader or whatever. But so yeah, I mean, I, I think you can't understand the movie without understanding it as a sort of revisionist version of the mafia movies um, that came out in the seventies and eighties. This is like the 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 ending of it. It's like closing the loop. It's like no, or this is our last one. And no one else can make one. It's Scorsese doing the mic drop and being like, okay, try to make a mafia movie after this one. You're not going to, you know, like you don't have the guys, you don't, you don't have like this. I'm just ending it right now. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, I, and also I thought what was interesting, I think that's, I mean, yeah. And also I thought what was interesting was Scorsese said in an interview years ago, I think he said something like, um, my movies are about, uh, crime or religion. Mm. Um, and you know, and that's true. He also made, there's actually that hilarious line in the Sopranos, right. Where Christopher sees him as a night at a nightclub and is like, 
Marty loved Kundun. Yeah, yeah. Which exactly. is actually like a great yeah. movie. Uh, it is. Yeah. That so was a, Silence. Yeah. yeah. No, it was yeah. a great movie. So, but I, I thought the way the theme, that themes actually did work in it, because there's the push and pull, there's the allure and the glamour and the, you know, these people are saying fuck you and doing whatever and getting away with it. And that's just like incredibly appealing on some level. And then there's also just like, actually they're all just kind of like, they all, you know, they suck. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And it doesn't. And, and then they all die. And I thought the scene where, you know, Pesci, I guess, you know, spoiler, but whatever is, you know, he's got the stroke and everything. And he's just like, you know, telling Frank Sharon, I'm going to church. And he's just like, you'll get it one day. You will, you will. And it's this kind of, you know, it's, it, it's, it's actually very touching and it's also kind of gross because, you know, it has like, you know, there's no introspective quality to it. It's like, just kind of like the final bargain. That's the only other thing too, is I thought it was so awesome that they bring out Joe Pesci to play a totally different type of gangster. Yeah. The opposite of the Joe Pesci persona. Uh, on screen persona, um, the complete opposite, you know, the, the quiet sort of, um, watchful, almost like a, like, you know, he's kind of like a, like a specter, um, like watching all the events, um, unfold and kind of manipulating them, you know, in this kind of subtle, soft-spoken way, which is the opposite of every single Joe Pesci character ever, who is loud and bombastic and, and always like, you know, prone to, explosions of violence like this guy you get the feeling that he's never he's never punched someone in his entire life except for that incredible scene where he comes home with the blood sloped uh, shirt yeah that's right yeah and the <laughs> wife's like the wife's like yeah okay you know yeah, uh, I understand it was a long day I shouldn't yeah. nag you yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you know I don't really want to dwell on it because I almost feel like you know kind of like we I, the 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 sort of dumb woke takes are what they are and we'll get to it maybe even in a more kind of interesting dynamic in terms of the reactions to the Howard Stern Hillary Clinton interview but i mean it's just you know i don't know man it's just like it's embarrassing it at a certain very point. embarrassing like, i don't know what like and when did when did Here's what I would say to try to put a spin on it, which is like, when did an absolutely correct, valid, um, you know, mission to just basically say like Hollywood entertainment, everything both needs to be more diverse in a general sense. And also it is interesting and important and dynamic to tell a broader set of stories. Of course. And if yeah. you're, you know, you object to that, you're just a fuckhead reactionary. Yeah, yeah. When did that get conflated with just like, I mean, lit- I mean, the reactions to this have been so dumb, literally even at a point of being like, this is one of those ones where it's like, yes, it was a misogynistic culture. Right. So like, yeah. the woman not it's speak, not an endorsement. Like, you know, it's like, I like, don't know what the endorsement fuck. of it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like it's not like Scorsese's like, yeah, look at these guys. They're awesome. You know, like I want to be like them. You know, like these guys are sad, pathetic losers, you know. And at the end of the day, Robert De Niro's character at the end of the movie is filled with regret. 
uh, because of it, because he lost the relationship with, you know, with the, with, you know, his daughter, that was like the, the one thing that he realized, you know, he, he gave up in order to just basically be the lackey for, for, for these other dudes. Um, so it's just a complete like misreading of it just from a, from a, from a pure, like, no, this is what, this is what's going on, not anything else. Um, but I mean, I think what you're saying, like about the, you know, the sort of noble push for more representation and diversity in culture and all that stuff is, you know, I mean, not to get like too theoretical on it, but like, if that's not coupled with a, um, a broader critique of, you know, how a economic system of like in, in this case, Hollywood, um, is structured, then you're just going to get this kind of annoying, um, sort of superficial understanding of it. But if, if, if we had some sort of broader critique over the way, you know, culture gets financed and we had, you know, like, I mean, we, we could do, for example, if this was like, if we set up like some sort of public fund to, um, fund, you know, small budget movies from, you know, promising young, uh, diverse creators or something like that, like that, then that's interesting. But if you just kind of let the major multinational corporations have to deal with it, then they'll just do the most bullshit, superficial, like just throw in like the best friend who's black instead of like, which previously would be white. Um, and then get, a, and then, and then that's enough. Like that's just, and that's and why people get And just produce shit. Shit. I mean, you Absolute know, it's, garbage. that's what's like, like, and it's, and it's funny. Cause like, I'm not even going to go into the whole PC comedy conversation of every single fucking year, but like, you know, I'm sorry, like whatever else you think of anything, like the Bill Burr, you know, Dave Chappelle specials are funnier than almost every single alternative <laughs> that I, that people assert to me is funny, which is not. Right. <laughs> like it's just yeah, and, and like it's Scorsese also just producing like a lot of banal yeah that and Scorsese and Tarantino are great directors you know like you right. know yeah they're white dudes and that's that's you know that's it's not their fault but they're they are great directors and yes it's true in 1991 there was probably a ton of you know white male directors who were getting a ton of money to make stupid movies um that probably could have gone to other people but like picking on tarantino and scorsese specifically i mean those guys are genuine artists with uh, you know with an own with their own kind of cinematic style and who have sort of really pushed the culture forward in in a certain sense like those guys aren't the right guys it's more like the guys you never heard of um you know who who made I don't know, like the Postman starring Kevin Costner in 1994 or whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah. And also like, even, even just back to the point you earlier made, it's funny. We mentioned Kundun. I don't think Kundun can be made today because of Chinese economic power. And I don't mean that oh, in yeah. any type of like, you know, Sino specific way. We know like you certainly not going to get Hollywood backing to make anything about the Israeli apartheid or anything like that. And those are certainly areas that would fit into uh, bigger narratives that need to be told. And the reason they're not is because of capitalism and markets right. and none and just power, you know. And so I don't know. I just couldn't. What really was funny about the and the only reason I even brought up the kind of like, you know, the dumb takes was because 
like I would disagree, you know, whatever. Like if, if, if Tarant, if, if particularly Scorsese, I like Tarantino, but I really like Scorsese. Yeah. If he put out some new, you know, flashy gangster, whatever, I'm sure I would be watching it and liking it right now. Even if it didn't, in fact, wasn't in fact, basically just like a total indictment of the whole thing. Um, Right. But then like them saying like, oh, it's the same old story would be boring and stupid and I would miss and it would miss me. But it would at least have like a certain, you know, boring truth. This one, it's like you're not getting what like he actually told a very different story here. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's the complete opposite. Again, it's like the and you know, it. Like in a certain level, I mean, I I don't think that they were meant to be read this way, but Goodfellas, um, I I still think is an indictment on the mob lifestyle. Oh, it is. But but, but I can see how like some, you know, young kid watched it uh, and were like, man, this is awesome. I want to be like them. Like nobody could watch The Irishman and be like, man, I really want to be like Frank Sheeran, you know? Uh, like, like this is like boring, sad sack, um, you know, never once got like laid. He only had like, you know, he didn't have any women. It wasn't like any of that, you know, the, that, the, the sort of cool stuff of being in the mob. This was like, and I want to just say, I've, I actually read on the airplane a couple weeks ago back from California, the book and, you know, the, the accuracy of it is a whole other question, but oh, what's yeah. funny is. That's super chosen by Scorsese. Right. It's, it I mean, come across the, same, the same look, the same kind of blankness comes across. And like the although there's much more like of basically him being in some form of like PTSD, we would call it, I think, from like being in like if he literally was in combat in World War Two for over 400 days, that is yeah. insane. Yeah. But there is definitely some more like parties and fucking and pizzazz, which is always the fun part of it. And they, and he didn't do any of that. I mean, it's not like, you know, there, it, it, no, it's not like super on that spectrum, but there is a little bit of it. And Scorsese chose to just really make it like this guy is like, it's, it was almost like, if about Schmidt was also a sociopath right. who broke his only meaningful relationship <laughs> by murdering maybe his only legitimate one of two legitimate friends on behalf of the other legitimate friend mentor, right. and he was Jack Nicholson and about Schmidt, that's basically how he played it. Well, and it's it's also like I mean he murdered the wrong friend. I mean he were right. like Russell would have sold him out in two seconds if right. like if it would push came to shove, but you didn't get the sense that Hoffa would have. No. You know. Um, but and then the other thing is like you don't even get like the yeah like at the end of the day uh, Robert De Niro's character was like a not not a very powerful dude within the mafia but like the, the guys who actually were powerful Joe Pesci and and the Harvey Keitel character they're not even partying and doing anything they're just kind of like these lonely boring old dudes who just kind of sit around and give orders and but they're not they're not like they're not like enjoying you know the fruits of of all this work they're just kind of you know, quiet, calculating, boring old dudes. It's not exciting in any way. Absolutely. So I want to um, talk, we got it. We're going to still talk a little bit about, uh, we'll, get, we'll get to the politics in a minute, but first um, you're a soccer guy. Yeah. I guess we could say football. 
Um, no, no, no. I, I don't, I don't, I find that's that, that kind of thing to be pedantic. I mean, we're in America, like there's a bigger sport called football. It's like, it's very, uh, it's very confusing. Um, and kind of pretentious, I think for like an American person in America on an American show calling it football, it just sounds so weird to me. You know, I that was like the type that- of thing that like, I think when I was like, you know, maybe like 18 or something and I, you know, like, I don't know, met some like guy from like Argentina or whatever. And they like corrected me. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. No. And then like four years later, the same conversation happened. I was like, shut the fuck up. I mean, actually, and, and, and <laughs> like, we're good drinking Argentina. Yeah, like the word the word soccer comes from the term association football. It's like the from the soak in 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 that um, you know that that was like the original term. The original the, the actual original name for the sport is association football. So like even football is 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 incorrect for the if you want to get actually pedantic about it. So they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> oh, I, oh, that's oh, that's so satisfying when you can be like yeah. you can. Um, would be like, don't be the well actually guy while doing the ultimate well actually. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we wanted to talk about the ownership of the game, how it relates to soft power. There's definitely been some coverage of, I mean, we all know that, you know, I mean, again, it's another capitalism problem. Oligarchs own sports teams. That's bad for sports, bad for society. Mm-hmm. And it's the merging of, you know, something so powerful and in some ways I would say pure, even I kind of hate that word, but like very clean in a way, like the actual games themselves and all these other, you know, problematic things. But there's also a now like nation states are getting into it and we've got FIFA, we've got the Gulf states and, you know, the always getting back to like the paradox of like the Gulf kingdoms is like these places of like, unbelievable wealth and sophistication, but also like extraction, brutality, yeah. oppression, <laughs> and they're directing a lot of the future of soccer. Absolutely. I mean, this really, I, I, I this really hit home for me. Like last week, Grant Wall, who's probably the most prominent American soccer writer tweeted out that it was the nine year anniversary of the day FIFA announced on the same day that Russia was going to host the 2018 World Cup and that Qatar was going to host the 2022 World Cup. And it's very unusual for them to announce two World Cups on the same day. It's usually like, you know, they announced the next one and then, and then like four years later, they announced the next. You know what I mean? Like they, they moved up the announcement of the 2022 World Cup by four years, um, mostly because all the sort of old, decrepit uh <laughs> men who run FIFA knew that they were going to die by the time they got around to the next announcement and they wanted to cash in on selling, you know, on, on selling the rights to that. Not, Nonzo, real quick. Can you tell us like how FIFA works and why it's so corrupt? I mean, well, it's, it's very simple, really. That it's so corrupt because there's no one, there's nothing on top of it regulating it. It's a sort of transnational organization based in Switzerland. Um, and what it is, it's the, uh, association of all the soccer federations from around the world. So for example, like England gets a representative, Spain gets a representative, Brazil gets a representative, the sort of governing bodies of those countries of the sport. So like say the equivalent of the NBA and then the equivalent of whatever the NBA is called in Lithuania, the equivalent, like the ACB is the, what it's called in Spain. They all get together. Then they have this sort of bigger organization on top of them. 
called FIFA, which regulates the game all over the world. And because FIFA moves so much money, you know, I mean, think about what these international tournaments are. It's not just the World Cup. It's the Euro Cup. It's the South American Cup. It's, you know, the African Nations Cup, the, the Asian Cup. All these cups, you know, are, you know, tens and hundreds of billions of dollars moving around the world every year. And because they're governed by this sort of transnational organization, which has no no, no one overseeing them, I mean, they're just skimming left and right. And they, it's just really to the highest bidder. Everything is just to the highest bidder. Um, and then it creates, you know, all kinds of problems for a nation that wants to host the world cup. You know, it's, I mean, aside from like the actual bribes that have to go to, uh, FIFA executives, I mean, the, the, the laws that FIFA imposes on a host nation are always like incredibly extractive and none of the money that, that, um, flows into the country, uh, for one of these tournaments ever stays in there. I mean, it's, it's just an unbelievably corrupt organization. And it's like, it, there's almost no way for it not to be corrupt unless there was like, it, unless like soccer was run by the UN or something, which is actually right. not a bad idea. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. You know, like some actual real organization, um, overseeing international sport. I mean, that's, I mean, but and it's not just soccer. I mean, that's why the Olympic committee is so corrupt famously it's because it's for the same exact reason it's just when you move a lot of money and you have no oversight you're gonna get you know um all kinds of corruption but so fifa in 2010 um was supposed to just announce the the world cup for 2018 um and they moved up the announcement of the qatar one to 2022 which everyone was like what you know qatar this tiny nation with no soccer culture no stadiums no infrastructure too hot to play in the summer, which is when the World Cup is, um, gets to host the World Cup. Like, I mean, it was just so obvious that it was a corrupt uh, arrangement. I mean, it was like the brazenness kind of reminded me of a little bit of like the Epstein thing, you know, like it's so brazen and in your face. Like, the, <laughs> yeah. you're just like it's just like them proving a point like, you know, fuck you, pay me. You can't do anything to touch me. You know, like we're just going to do this. No one's going to say anything. You're going to kick and scream and you're going to be not, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. Go fuck yourself. I don't care. I'll probably be gone by then. Um, <laughs> yeah. To, yeah, yeah. And I'll cash out, you know, in the meantime. Um, and you know, that was a, that was a sort of wake up moment for a lot of people around the world. I was like, why, why is Qatar so interested in hosting the world cup? And then, you know, around that same time, um, a, a group out of Abu Dhabi bought Manchester city in uh, in in England in the English Premier League, and has invested you know probably hundreds of billion uh, hundreds of millions of dollars at this point in revamping that club and turning it into a, an absolute powerhouse. A another group from Qatar bought Paris Saint Germain. Um, before that, um, oh, and in, in the meantime, um, Real Madrid, which is my team, sold a massive lucrative sponsorship to the Emirati airline. Um, same with Arsenal and a bunch of and a bunch of other teams. Um, Barcelona sold their sponsorship to to the Qatari state. Um, you know, so like all of a sudden in the last decade, you see this huge influx of golf money into soccer, and it's like, what are they doing? You know, and it's it's really like a way to launder their image in uh, around the world. I mean, it's and it's been pretty effective. I mean, I watched the. Uh, there's a there's a pretty fun uh, docu series on Amazon um, about Manchester City, um, and you see like that it's a 
state of the art club, like the most cutting edge training methods and the best coaches in the world doing the most sophisticated, uh, sophisticated and innovative tactics. You know, their facilities are incredible. They're run by this guy who is like this, um, this like very slick, very well-dressed, uh, guy from Abu Dhabi named, uh, Al-Mubarak who like speaks English really well. And he's, and it's like, man, this looks amazing. And then you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is like, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just being suckered into this right now. Like, um, and it's, and it's amazing. I mean, it's just, it's part of the, it's part of the broader, um, you know, golf image laundering that we're seeing around the world. I mean, you know, I mean, not like you can see like embarrassing examples, like, you know, Mohammed bin Salman's charm offensive or whatever that was. Remember that tour where he was, I mean, it was to, Barrett's, to Tom Barrett's, yeah. I mean, he was hanging out with Mike Mark Zuckerberg, the rock. I mean, uh, you know, Thomas Friedman was sucking him. I actually, it was very, I mean, Nora O'Donnell gave him glowing interviews. I mean, it was actually, it's, it's, it's very, I mean, you know, any of these conversations, Russia, the Gulf, whatever it, money. Yeah. Money. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, and, and a kind of unreported or underreported story in, in generally like Washington politics is like the amount of Gulf money that is sloshing around DC think tanks and, you know, lobbying groups and, all manner of like, there's just like that, like the DC local economy, I would say is probably, you could say like a significant percentage of it is just straight up, um, you know, being paid for by the, by, by the Gulf States. Um, and, so it's money. So it's brand. I mean, that's cause yeah, I mean, it's hard. What's amazing. I mean, just even Al Jazeera alone is a global brand. And then, you know, but on the other hand, in this case, because of the labor abuses, because of the seasons and just how ridiculous the process was, it's, I mean, it's kind of been a little bit of a bloody nose for everybody, no? I mean, I, I or for guess, anybody I mean, who's paying like, attention, but I guess whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, like, what, what are we going to do? Boycott the world cup? Like I probably don't have the moral rectitude to do that. I'll definitely sneak a peek. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in 2022. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, but like, yeah, over a thousand people have died and it's horrible and we're just going to, we're just going to shut up and not do anything about it. You know, um, it's, it's very, it's terrifying, but the, the Qatari thing, I mean, you mentioned Al Jazeera, but they have their, their sports version of Al Jazeera called the be in sports and yep. they've been quietly buying up, uh, the broadcast rights all over the world for a bunch of, a bunch of soccer. Like, like it's not inconceivable I mean, this might be hyperbole, but it might sound inconceivable that by like in the next 10, 20 years, like all of soccer around the world will be watched by a channel owned by the state of Qatar. I mean, they, 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 they own the rights to the Spanish league here in the United States in Spain. They have a significant chunk of it all over the world. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. I mean, they're, they're just really have zeroed in on soccer as one of their main marketing tools to launder their image. And it's genius because like I said, you know, you can read the story about like how horrible it is. Man, a thousand workers have died in Qatar uh, building the stadiums and living in slave labor conditions. I mean, well, actually not just slave labor conditions, like literal slaves, <laughs> you know, like they've mostly Nepalese workers that they've kind of conned into moving to Qatar and then they take away their passports and they can't, they can't leave and all that shit. Um, 
but like people read that shit and they're like, you know, that's awful. Like, but you know, people are powerless. Like what, what are they going to do? Um, so it's kind of a genius strategy to do sort of marketing on the, uh, on the mass popular level, whereas their influence in Washington obviously is just to get the United States to shut up about, you know, pesky human rights abuses and all that stuff. Hey, Nando, right. I, have, I have a quick question actually, yeah. since you're bringing this up, Mike, I know I, I brought this up previous when we talked about it, but do you have any insight? And this is me being a super nerd. Do you have any insight on the reason why Saudi Arabia is putting, is it like the same thing? Cause I know Saudi Arabia is putting a lot of money into wrestling into WWE and, and all that stuff. They have like four shows a year. They're paying like talent, $10 million to appear. Like, is this kind of the same thing? Cause all I'm seeing when I watch these WWE shows is look at Saudi Arabia. We're so progressive women can drive like that's the, like the same thing here right oh yeah absolutely i mean i know i know wwe was just in saudi arabia like last month they, yeah, um, halloween. And there was like, they had and, a show on halloween exactly and then there was like a whole thing about like look we had our women wrestlers doing the thing in saudi arabia like oh shit you know like we're uh we're you know we're changing shit over there the women, like, they were changing. crying the women were yeah. crying in the rain like Oh, it's a hundred percent the same thing. And like, again, what another genius yeah. move to get like, yeah. you know, um, to get the, the fan base of wrestling being like, well, I don't know, man, those Saudis, they don't seem that bad. You know, like even as he's locking up all of the women activists that actually of pioneered course. it, yeah. of course. But I mean, it's just important for people to be reminded. And also the way they say what I love is that they're so easily able, obviously, to spin the Western corporate press and then at home in Saudi what they said from the beginning was not that this is a reform real, or maybe they would say that, but it's always, this is a gift from the Prince. Yeah. Nothing oh. you did. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nothing no, about like, pressure. Nothing yeah. about this is just this enlightened Prince is bestowing these gifts, yeah. which is like actually like turbocharged monarchic authoritarianism. And yeah, I mean, Rob, I'm sorry. Like, now it makes total sense to me, of course. And and that's on just a Machiavellian level. That what fucking brilliant cross-channeling. Like amazing. You think of the Gulf, you do think of like there is that as I said, the paradox of just the disgusting brutality and viciousness of these states in so many areas. And then also the cosmopolitanism, the beauty, like the the really dynamic parts of the culture, all coexisting in these contradictory, uneasy ways. But what I'm saying, like you think of FIFA and you're like, yeah, like FIFA, it doesn't fit in Qatar in terms of reality, but it fits in terms of mind space. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Al Jazeera. Yeah. Soccer. Yeah. The Gulf. OK. Like people are flying in and out and they're coming from Europe and they're coming from Africa and they're coming from, you know, like it, it works. But WWE, that's so fucking because that is that's an arrow straight to the heartland, man. Oh, that's yeah. So that's the heart smart. of the empire. Yeah. Oh, that's smart. Oh, we're going to see an NFL game in Saudi Arabia, like before the decades out hundred percent, you know, like they're going to play an NFL game in some giant dome in that, uh, in that like city of the future they're building. And they're going to bring like, you know, the Dallas Cowboys versus the, 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 the whatever the Green Bay Packers to play there. And, and it's going to, everyone's going to be like, wow, look at this. And, and, you know, like they're a hundred percent thinking about that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And it's, it's, I mean, it's disconcerting if you're a sports fan. I mean, it's like, I mean, that's what, like when someone tweeted out, I forgot, I forgot who it was, but when, when Deadspin ended, 
um, or was, was ended. Um, someone tweeted out like, it's like Despin was the only site that could still appreciate and love sports without buying into like literally every single other aspect of sports, which is awful, which is like the, the sort of the militarism of it, the, the like macho nationalism of it that comes with it, the incredibly corrupt um, leadership of it, the insane sort of labor relations of it. Um, you know, like literally everything about sports is gross and dirty and awful, except for the actual thing that you're seeing on the field. Um, but, and, and Deadspin was like literally the only site that could reckon with that in any meaningful way. Now, now we're just thrown to the wolves hundred percent. Um, well then of course the athletic shouts, the athletic, shout out the athletic shout out, yeah, the athletic is great, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then, yeah, but also, I mean, yeah. And then Deadspin, I mean, the story of Deadspin is, I mean, they're not even <laughs> like for, what they were as a media property, they and certainly in terms of the brand's power, they were fine. And what happens is it's just another asshole hedge fund with another, you know, in this case, particularly aggressive asshole manager. And you just can't, like, you need to fuck that up too. But yeah, any, you know, we can't have just, nice things. We can't have nice things. And this is, a, a, like, we can't even have the Irishman. Uh, we can't even, <laughs> this is so fucking amazing to me. Like, this whole thing when people obsess about like the influence of places like Russia. And to me, it's like, yeah, you know, Russian, I actually, I, you know, I think some people on the left, this like, look, there's, of course there's a Russian foreign policy and a lot of it is absolutely toxic and reactionary. And then it's like a lot of the PR techniques that people are so obsessed with that the Russians have modified and, and perfected in some ways came from the West when we had fucking U.S. propagandists going and helping Yeltsin get reelected. And the, the way the connection I'm trying to draw here is like, yeah, if you just don't regulate media and you don't have a public system and you don't fund it and you don't have nonprofits and you let there be endless monopolies and you let, you know, these various fucking like shell investment firms kill <laughs> journalism, then, yeah. There's going to be a sovereign wealth fund that owns everything. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, what else do you think? And I funny. guess maybe it'll be good soccer coverage, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's funny you mentioned, like, uh, the, the Russian thing. I mean, and uh, Yeltsin and all that stuff. Like, I mean, this kind of trend, the first kind of, um, the first kind of oligarch to basically buy a major team was a Russian oligarch named Roman Abramovich, uh, who bought Chelsea, I think it was in like 2003. And this guy became a billionaire in the mid nineties during the whole Yeltsin, uh, loan for share, uh, scam. I don't know if you know, do you know about that? Well, tell us about it. Though. Well, it's like, it was like basically, it, it was basically this, you know, obviously with all the support of the U S, um, policymakers at the time, but it was basically the Yeltsin government in 1995, uh, selling off the uh, Russian previously public state assets um, to the, these these like little petty little oligarchs at absolutely cut rate prices, um, and Abramovich and his partner, who I forgot his name, it's like this other Russian guy, um, bought the uh, what became Gazprom, the the sort of Russian state oil company, for like a hundred million dollars. Um, yeah, which sounds like a lot of money, but like, it's like a garbage. No, that is, like, that is nothing. That is like nothing. You <laughs> that know, it's like 
It's like buying like a fucking Ferrari for 10 bucks, you know, like or literally that, yeah. that is no, that is, that is, that's basically it. And he was 30 like, years old. Maserati <laughs> for six ninety nine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and by the way, and also a Maserati that only increases in value. Oh yeah. yeah like yeah. one you're to, not going to take on the road. Like a transformer, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh shit! So you know, all right. This actually, I feel like in a weird because now we're going to talk about Kamala Harris and then Hillary Clinton on Howard Stern, and it actually totally fits with the global oligarchy. But out of the gate, I mean, Kamala Harris is out. I've already said many times that I, I was smart about Beto. I thought Beto was like, sure, of course, everybody likes Beto when he's running as fucking Ted Cruz, but I don't think this has any legs in an election. Uh, but I actually did think um, Harris would be more formidable. I'm really gratified. I think it's fucking amazing that, you know, a lot of people said in the beginning, they were like, yeah, her, this horrifying prosecutorial record, people aren't going to take that seriously. But actually, I think people found out about it and they did. There are a lot of other problems there, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you say. Like I, the Kamala, the Kamala death is something that renews my faith in politics in a way. Like that, politics actually matters, and that it's not just you know brands and marketing and all that stuff. Um, it kind of uh, you know because I, I I too thought that that she was going to be formidable um, because you know she has I, I thought she was going to be the perfect Bernie killer. You know, she was a, a successful woman of color, you know, who, who, who was, you know, she was, she was pretty impressive. And, um, you know, Beto, like I'm with you, like from the beginning, I was like this toothy, goofy looking dude, like no one is going to take him seriously ever, but I thought they were going to take her seriously, but it does seem like her actual record did hurt her significantly, especially with black voters, you know, which is, which is kind of an interesting dynamic when you see, um, people saying like bemoaning kind of the, the lack of, diversity in the race, like it kind of goes back to our conversation about the diversity in Hollywood. It's like, well, there's there's no diversity in the race, but that doesn't take into account the, the choices of black voters or Hispanic voters. I mean, like, well, I mean, there's Kamala just so would still many, be in, in yeah, the race I mean, if she had support from blacks and Latinos. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also like, I mean, I just, it's just stunning. Like, I, I, I have no, I'm, I'll just say it really plainly. I mean, white center-right Democrats concern trolling on that issue is fucking mind-boggling. Nauseating. It's disgusting because, I mean, literally it is actual racism because yeah. you are you are dismissing uh, massive parts of the Democratic electorate that had several months and made a clear choice. And I'm so, no, like she came out to glowing press coverage, great fundraising numbers. She's got a lot of political chops. She's telegenic. Like, no, this is all, you know, I mean, some of it's structural um, in terms of, you know, the electorate and what people are looking for. But, you know, so much of it was self-inflicted wounds with, you know, again, like, you know, it, Bernie's running a campaign where he can make absolutely no mistakes. And, you know, obviously all of the press is biased against him. But I mean, I it, it, it's it's disgusting and nauseating because it's dismissing what massive groups of people across the electorate think. And then a lot of the objection was thinking that, in fact, 
I don't want to support a candidate that, in fact, literally backed what would be accurately called structurally racist as well as, of course, classist policies, which, you know, like this is somebody who literally arrested the mothers of truant children and chose (laughs) – like. Steve Mnuchin could be in fucking legal trouble instead of Treasury Secretary. She chose to do that. And I don't – you know, I mean when I see those tweets, it's just like I don't know what kind of a just you know insane, ludicrous, delusional mind space you can get into on Twitter. But also beyond that too, I mean one – Look, absolutely the barrier for a Jewish, you know, straight dude, of course, is not the same as as a woman of color. But, uh, you know, I'm just I'm not to the extent that we're going to talk about those things. I'm not super comfortable with somebody who most of his family was wiped out by Hitler just being called (laughs) an old white dude all the time. I I think that's actually kind of disgusting and anti-Semitic. And then in addition to that, like. I don't like Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang. And I, if they call, you know, if they, if they in any way hurt Bernie's electoral, I mean, you know, fuck them. But how many people can say there's no diversity left in the field when it's like, well, first of all, you know, if you're in that lane, go help out, you know, Cory Booker or Julianne Castro. But like, you literally have, you know, a Hindu woman of color. Yeah. and me for and and actually, I mean, this is how insane you know, like a an Asian um, man who has run like you know he's obviously not a leading candidate or anything, but he's run a hugely significant campaign, and it, it, probably and, like, the most impressive campaign per pound, right? Um, I would I still have to give that to Bernie. I mean, but, but Bernie I'm, like has raised money and you know he's got all that stuff like, and he was a known figure. Like no one knew who this Andrew Yang guy was. Like pound for pound. Right. You know, like in terms of accomplishment in the campaign you know, from pure like, you know, getting myself noticed and building a constituency out of nothing. Um, like it's it's been it's been hugely impressive in that sense. Yeah, no, I mean, that's totally fair. So I think you you know, I, it's just the bullshit just never, never ends with it. And I and then look, I, I think that like. You know, the next question would be what, you know, I'm sure there are like, you know, different there's obviously different challenges, um, you know, depending on a candidate's background. But I she lost and is out on the merits. Oh, yeah. I mean, Will Meneker tweeted out something like uh, it's been fun to see like all these like elite liberals wake up one morning and realize that um, actual, you know, black voters care about the content of Black Lives Matter and not just like the branding exercise of it, you know, that they actually care about the actual uh, serious significance of, of something like Black Lives Matter and don't just treat it as like a, you know, a, a, a feel goody thing to make you feel good about yourself, which is or probably white people's voices of color. You're yeah. doing that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're doing that right now. And also, yeah, I mean, that, that's a really important point. I, the only other thing I'll say just real quick, I just think from a media perspective where I sort of, I mean, I'm, I won't say I feel bad for, her. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't want her anywhere near the white house. Um, and I wish she was basically, I mean, the best thing she could do is, you know, become the head of a criminal justice nonprofit and use her considerable skill set to try to make up for all the damage she did. But 
I think that, um, you know, what, what I feel that I could see kind of sucks for her is I think who she is as a politician is a total 2008 through 1990s politician in the sense that she's very like, she's got a Christmas. She's good on television. She looks good. She's very fluid. And even the way that she's like a flip flopping bullshit artist, (laughs) I mean, dude, I remember growing up reading about politics and they would praise politicians for like, Oh yeah. You'd read it. Oh my God, that was so good because you know, Clinton said this and then he kind of da, 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 da. And I think what happened in this campaign is that she had that script smack from 2000 when Absolutely. On the flip side, to be a woman of color running for president was a a, in the Democratic primary was not was still, you know, I mean, just go back and read the casual racism of that time. Right. So we caught up socially where it could happen. And because it's certainly in a Democratic primary without a doubt. But then on the flip, her. You know, her skill set is of a totally different time when you don't have a million people holding a phone up to you and people see like they see you totally contradict yourself. They see you. I mean, I I saw her multiple times at CNN forums, Nando, say in response to like, you know, a tough question where, you know, Bernie would take the brave uh, response. Someone else would try to demagogue Bernie. And then uh, uh Kamala Harris go, I think we should need to have a serious conversation about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I wonder, I wonder if she, if she, had she leaned into, uh, no one, no one was ever going to buy her as a sort of occupying the left lane of the primary, which is what she tried to compete for in the early days, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, like that she was never going to have, that kind of credibility. I like, I wonder if she would have leaned into like a hard right, like just from a cold, you know, I'm a democratic operative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like if had she leaned to like a hard right wing of the democratic party and just gone straight after Joe Biden from the beginning and try to take him, try to take him down right from the beginning, like hyper-focused on Biden to try to take his lane um, and sort of can, can, uh, consolidate the establishment vote. But I mean, she chose to go progressive, which in a way is heartening because like, you know, they can sense the tea leaves and where the, where the base is at. But, you know, now she must be staring at the only sort of establishment or like fully establishment figures left are Biden and Buttigieg. And she's like, man, that fucking little mayor Pete, uh, was able to like outmaneuver me. Um, and because he, he, you know, he he was hyper focused on getting that billionaire class from the beginning. Um, instead, Kamala went like hard on Medicare for all early. She, you know, tried to try to be like a little bit more populisty, and it just no one was ever going to buy that for her. She's not she's not in her heart. And if it's not in your heart, like, wasn't no, progressive. It wasn't actually progressive enough. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, Hillary Clinton just did an interview with Howard Stern. Um, I'll just get the first thing out of the way and throw to you, Nando. She's still blaming Bernie Sanders. Do you mean the Mueller report? Yeah, the yeah. indictments. Okay. The report itself, I think, is also worth reading. But if you read the indictments, you know, basically they were like, hey, let's do everything we can to elect Donald Trump. I mean, that's, those, those are quotes. Those are taken, words. They those said. are words yeah. that taken. And they also said Bernie Sanders. But, you know, 
that's another for another day. Do we day. hate Bernie Sanders? What? Do we hate Bernie Sanders? No, I don't hate anybody. Bernie could have endorsed you quicker. Uh, he could have. He hurt him. me. There's no doubt about it. He hurt me. But going back to the indictments, because that's right. what's really important. Have you ever spoken to Bernie about that? No. No. You haven't I mean, talked to him? I don't talk to him. Yeah, I mean, we did when he finally endorsed me and all that. But and you're he, upset with him? No, disappointed. Disappointed. Okay. okay. So, and, and I hope he doesn't do it again to whoever gets the nomination. Right. Once is enough. Well, she's not just, not just blaming Bernie Sanders. The <laughs> Russians who are behind Bernie, like, I mean, it's like, it's, it's really insane. Like, I, I guess like, it would, it would be insane enough to just blame Bernie, but I would get that on some level, right? Like, you know, to just like be mad at the guy who, you know, who you campaigned over yeah. a dozen times, well, you, yeah. who that worked his ass off in every way, shape and form, even though you're a complete portrayal of all of the genuine justice that he and his movement <laughs> represents. And even though you've caused an yeah. untold amount of human suffering from the Walmart board to the Iraq war, and he's fought in the Honduras. Honduras and Brazil and Israel and the West Bank and he's already just pulled down his pants and let him let you peg him for six months while he campaigned for you. But but he had the temerity. And who who by the way, you know, in a in a main debate in the actual primary still took off the table a potent campaign issue against you because he wanted to earnestly talk about health care. I mean, come on. On. <laughs> it's insane. But then to say that he was controlled by the Russians or whatever she said, because I didn't even actually hear the interview. I just saw the tweets. But like to say that, she, that the Russians were behind it, like it's a it's a level of delusion and or cynicism or I don't even know what. Like I find her so incredibly hard to to understand as a human being. Like I almost feel like I almost feel like she should be in the Irishman as one of these like empty people full of regret. <laughs> <laughs> she's like the Robert De Niro, you know, like she never got, you know, she never got to where she thought she was going to get. And then she's going to die alone, you know, uh, in, in an old person home. You join the army. Yeah. You do exactly. your job. You, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you work, you, you do what Fruit of the Loom asks you to do. And he. <laughs> 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 no, it's it, it's it's really it's really insane, and it's on the flip on the flip side of this though, because I, I have to say, like, especially for someone in like my bracket, and honestly, in general, like, I'm just not. I don't know. I I have contempt for an unbelievable amount of people, but I don't in politics. But I don't really like. I don't just hate Hillary Clinton. Like I see her say the things about Bernie and I look at her policy record and I think it's totally disgusting. And, you know, I think we need to be totally clear about it, but there's other moments I've seen her talk. Ironically, actually, particularly when she's just kind of like doing her thing and not trying to appear, you know, I, I think that is actually where it's very gendered, right? Like, I think when she's just kind of like being herself, I get it. Like she's yeah. just, you know, whatever. It's cool. I mean, and there were moments in Howard Stern's interview, like, even on things that I, I mean, you, know, you don't God, care about. <laughs> not only do I care about it, it's like, you know, I'm thinking about Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, you know, <laughs> whatever. But like when she talks, she said, yeah, Bill was staring at me at Yale. So I went up to him and I said, like, you're going to tell me your name or you're going to stop staring at me. Like she just, she's got, and, and what I felt about it was that the moments that had a certain likability, um, we're total. I mean, Howard Stern. It is a cliche, but the dude is a fucking master interviewer. Oh, the best! And my Maybe God, the best. she should have let 
he wanted the interviewer so badly in 2016. Honestly, it might have helped. It probably would have helped. I mean, I remember I was sitting in the room in the DNC 2016 when Bill gave his DNC speech, which was all about how they met and first fell in love. And he had everyone in that room eating out of the palm of his hand. And I was doing a live broadcast and I was like the whole time I'm thinking like I'm looking around and everyone's eyes are like as if they were watching, you know, like the sappiest rom-com of all time, like just drinking it up. They love that shit. And I was like, we, we all know this is Bill Clinton we're talking about, right? <laughs> like, like that he's like, like we know what happened after they met in college, right? Like we know what his, what their life has been like. And, and like, listen, no judgment from that point of view, like, you know, marriages are complex and, and, right. um, and Definitely. you know, like people's relationships are, can be complicated and it's, and it, it's not one to judge, but like, also don't buy the sappy, like just, they're, they're clearly selling you like the, the sappy thing and you're, you guys are just falling for it. You know, like now on, now on the flip, I, well, speaking of you falling for, for it. it, I totally did. And I, <laughs> but I did because of, uh, because of Stern and that right. brings me to, uh, uh, the flip point, which is like, I mean, look, a lot of people had a problem with, uh, Bernie going on Joe Rogan, which is, I mean, you know, I, I can't He's even, so much tamer than Stern. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can't even begin to entertain that one. And I, I, I just have to say like, as someone who literally, I mean, look, I go on YouTube sometimes and listen to vintage Howard Stern because I do think like the guy's an insanely talented broadcaster. And if you go and and absolutely brilliant and hilarious. And some, and some of that shit is unbelievable. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, it is actual like stuff, you know, like the stuff that people are, are you know, that, you know, yeah, like right. It's like actually there, you know, yeah. you don't yeah. have to conjure it. Um, right. and so like the, but I'm, I see, you know, the people tweeting out, I mean, obviously in my timeline, there's a lot of people pointing out what a, you know, horrifying delusional asshole Hillary Clinton is for still attacking Bernie and still perpetuating this, you know, all these fantasies and lies. But on the flip side, the people who are going, oh my God, it's the most amazing interview I've ever seen. Right. Are also, I, I mean, I mean, if Bernie Sanders did Howard Stern. Yeah, I mean, it'd be an uproar. But you got me thinking, like, thinking about, like, Howard Stern's history as a broadcaster or whatever. Like, his movie, Private Parts, like, I could make the argument that it might be, like, maybe the best biopic ever made. Because I, I, like, generally hate biopics. But, like, Howard Stern, who starred in his own biopic, uh, has never acted before or since, um, just made this little perfect movie called Private Parts. And I don't know if, if you haven't seen it or anyone in the audience hasn't seen it, they have to go watch it immediately because it's great. By the way, I love I, speaking of which this loops us up before we end because uh, it's it's actually funny because there's a similar um, you know age situation where you have a guy like in his mid forties playing right. like an eighteen year old going into college, right. and I like how they handled it, which is just voiceover. He's just like you're just gonna have to suspend disbelief. <laughs> exactly, and they just give him like, they give him the giant jufro. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. No, that movie is like actually perfect. It's like probably worth doing like a rewatch. Uh, you know, and like, uh, uh, you know, like looking back on that movie, uh, from today's point of view, because it's actually great. It's actually like really sweet. Um, and, and like really funny. Yeah, no, no, it's a good movie, but I mean, it's just, it, it, you know, there would be, 
I, 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 I mean, it's also a, a broader kind of fascinating thing how he was able to redo his image. And I think part of it in his case, and it's funny because I have huge criticisms, not just like I have major criticisms of, I don't like the fucking woke, you know, pro-Israel Howard Stern, Clintonite oligarch Howard Stern either to say the least. Right. <laughs> but the through line is, I mean, in this case, and I, I, I will never want to end on a note of like any type of belief in, in like, you know, the lie of meritocracy, Donald Trump is president. Don't, how, you know, how anybody could believe that while well, Donald Trump was president is beyond me, but talent, <laughs> man. I mean, in his case, yeah. just talent really well, did it. I mean, in, 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 <laughs> in media that, that there is still kind of that thing. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to be at it for that long without being genuinely good at it. Like if the guys who like aren't good at it eventually flame out, but like if you're able to sort of stick with it, I mean, I think, you know, think about like Madonna's career or something, you know, like that they were able to do it for so long, stay in the limelight, stay like at the forefront of pop culture, um, for so long. I mean, that means that there's some genuine talent there. Nando Vila, this is awesome. Will you hang out with uh, me and Waz sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. That would be a pleasure. Do you have a quick 30-second uh, crates recommendation for everybody? Yeah, I watched this movie uh, over Thanksgiving break, and I had never heard about it, but I looked it up when I I watched this other Robert Alton movie called Gosford Park, and then I was like, oh, maybe I'll list, you know, I, I've seen a few of his movies, but I want to see another one. And he made a movie in the early 90s called the player starring tim robbins and it's so good i was like i couldn't believe just that the opening sequence is this like long shot inside one of the lots in hollywood and it's 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 uninterrupted and it's just like filled with like the most meta funny jokes uh about hollywood and then the ending is just so brutal and ironic and kind of funny um but also like devastating like I thought it, the movie was unbelievable. Uh, it's like the best satire of Hollywood by far ever, and it's um, and it's just it's just it's just a great movie. I was like shocked at how good it was. That movie is. I got to co-sign on that. That is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, let me uh, also actually. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm going to throw back to check out Kundun. That's actually like yeah, a really Kundun's great, great movie. Like uh, if you can great. track it down, that's actually one of my favorite Scorsese movies and. I feel like Tibet, like, I understand, like, especially if you were a late 90s kid, there was a time, you know, it was like the Beastie Boys and everybody was talking about it. And yeah, yeah, and it was, you know, and there was the the fetishization and romances and all of that and blah, blah, blah. And we, but, you know, it's actually still like a very seriously bad human rights situation. And uh, it's, that's actually, and I would say it's, you know, it's a very sympathetic movie for sure to the Dalai Lama and Tibetan Buddhism, but it's not, I mean, it's still a fucking Scorsese movie. Like it's, you know, it is, this is not like, uh, like flute music, you know, I mean, it's, it is a really beautifully shot, powerful, just kind of story of displacement. Um, I want to rewatch it. Go check out Kundun. Everybody. You can find all the links to all the ways you can find Nando Vila. Of course, Nando will be back again on the show for sure. He'll also be on TMBS. Go to the Michael Brooks Show on YouTube. Click subscribe. Become a patron of the Michael Brooks Show, patreon.com slash TMBS. Become a patron of Count the Dings right now. Join The Athletic. Get all of the content. It's uh, it's patreon.com slash Count the Dings, right, Rob? Yes, sir. Okay, and so... 
the other really important thing. And then, of course, grab your tickets, TMBS, February 7th at the Bell House. Excited to see you there. And what you got to do is click subscribe and write a review. Spread the word on the bomb feed. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Nando. Thanks, Jade. Thanks, everybody.